live bug bombing of my car, bro, because I'm about to I'm about to drop another bomb. It's about to be bombs over Baghdad. <laughs> well, welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name is Jed. I'm Brad. And what Brad is referring to is he has to bug bomb his car. <laughs> Tell him why, Brad. Well, as you guys know, I'm a pizza delivery driver, and right now I'm having an issue because. Because uh, I have a German roach, our German roach infestation, in my car, and uh, and when I say infestation, I mean untold. Un- <laughs> they have, they are legion. Okay. Uh, yeah, unremittent thousands. <laughs> yes, there's thousands. I, I when I asked him, I was like, "Oh, you mean what do you got? Like, you know, we're talking like ten, twenty, and you were like, possibly thousands." I don't know if I'm seeing the same ones over and over again or you know, it's it's very it's so I got three roach and flea foggers and I hit I hit this bad boy against all advice from my coworkers. I was like, Look, because I'm a pizza delivery driver, you know? And when I open the door to my car, I'm looking at it right now, I see three adult roaches alive and well. Less than 24 hours after the first bombing. The, those, are, those are the ones children. you really got to worry about. Huh? Those are the ones you really... It, well, it's funny. People always say, like, roaches will survive a nuclear bombing, but we think we can take them out with, like, rudimentary gas weapons. Like, they've been through chemical warfare, all right? Bro, it's chemical warfare. They may be immune. So I, I've, got, I've got two more bombs left. And um, so... I, I see the roaches, and, and that's the thing. It's definitely like a, I would. I don't know if it's a conflict of interest between the roaches' interest and like my job's interest. Yeah, because that was I, like, how long is it like? So, so you know how people, you know how people um, don't like to hear stories about people that cook in restaurants because uh, dude, you're, you're making awful noises over there. I'm gonna need you to like. Slow down. Oh well, I'm sorry. I'm in the process. To, it's just warfare, bro. It's, Dude, all right. You hear the fight, the gunshots in the background. No, so, so, <laughs> so people always don't want to hear from kitchen workers how disgusting restaurants are, and they're like, "Well, surely delivery is safe." But you've heard it. You've heard it here first, folks. There is a pizza delivery guy delivering your pizza with thousands upon thousands of roaches in his delivery receptacle. I said possibly thousands. I don't want to say countless untold thousands. It's hard to say, really, because they're so crafty. I mean, they, like right now, I, I took everything. Yeah, and also, you're right to be concerned because I've definitely been in, in some situations recently where, oh, fudge muffins, dude. I've been in some situations recently where, um, I've like put the pizza delivery bag on the seat with roaches in sight, you know, possibly like ideally what I would do is I would wait and say, Hey, let's let the roaches clear out before I set the bag down. But, you know, when I say clear out, obviously I mean that like they walked like they, you know, they, they moved away, but, what I'm trying to say is, Jed, I'm putting the bag down pretty much on top of roaches when I get in the car. Oh it's, 
fucked up. So you you work for Domino's, right? Just. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many people look? The thing the, is, the big, it, I work many... for one of the big three. I definitely. They all know what I work for, dude. They, yeah. they know. And they got enough corporate issues. This is going to be the scandal that breaks them. <laughs> like, it's going to. This, this is, is going to yeah. come Pizza out. <laughs> uh, BuzzFeed presents think... 50 most disgusting delivery <laughs> horror stories. Number one. <laughs> Dude, well, in the in the I'm, other one, in the other thing, I I mean, I revealed how like well, I think I revealed how when I worked for Takeout Express, I I ate an eighty dollar Chili's order and then just called them and quit. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is it's not like I'm special or anything, dude. No, like, you're not. Sure. You're you're pretty par for the course. This is like normal shit, you know. Man, uh, how do I get well, these seats out? I don't know. Calm down. Well, in so yeah, this episode's coming late because John is mandatory evacuating. So if everyone can send you send prayers, well, for everyone on the East Coast right now, but he is in you know Charleston and they're having a mandatory evacuate. Have you talked to your parents? Who me? Yeah. No. What What are they doing? Yeah, Hurricane Florence is like headed straight for them. Category four. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to call my mom. I tried to call Miriam, and she didn't answer. I feel the I fear the worst. Looting has already. Oh yeah, she's a goner, dude. <laughs> Miriam, send me an email, churchandotherdrugs at gmail dot com, if you survive. Why didn't you answer, Why didn't mother? You answer? Oh no. Now, I mean, I'm uh, just getting a small taste of how she felt. <laughs> All the time she would call during crises, and I just didn't answer. It it hurts, Mom. I'll let you. I'll be honest. It hurts. First the rose infestation, and now this. It's, it's you know it's a it's I'm gonna call this struggle September. I mean, there's sickness going around. I'm about to go to the urgent care. I tried to go to. The, there's a trash guy outside making noise. This this is falling apart, dude. The show's over. The show's up. You can't. You've over. got roaches. I, I ugh, we got spiritual roaches. Your your household is still being attacked spiritually. Yeah, oh yeah, it's definitely. I mean, I feel like these are just a manifestation of like, you know, like when you see the movies and like in the movie, like you know, the demons come in and then the bugs follow. It's like a pestilence. Yeah, on it's your a pestilence. Home. This can only mean Dracula is uh, accosting your family. The, the the master of vermin is nearby. Yeah, he's he's here. I mean, it's it's going down. But look, I do have weapons. I have I have tools. I'm not going out without a fight. I got my rock star here, pure zero. And, are uh, you are you and let me are you pulling a Dale Gribble and like setting off the bug bomb and then just driving around <laughs> like. I can just see you like you open your door and it's just and then you step out and you're like man name Brad peace and delivery is this for you wait did he do that in his car and drive he, around he act no he like he almost killed himself with his own pesticides like multiple times that's funny no I don't but is that what you're doing? Like, how you know you're supposed to like an area that you bug bomb. You're supposed to vacate for like what, like 24 hours? No, it's like 
Well, then pull it out, please, for me. Then you get, um, what you do is you drop the bomb, and then you, uh, you, you let it, you know, marinate for like two hours, it says, and then you air it out for like two hours. But what I did was, I, don't think... I just, let me tell you what I did. Okay. Okay, I don't want to talk over you, but what I did was I just set it off and left it in there for, let's say, 12 hours. And then I got in the car and drove because I had, I didn't, <laughs> I, I had to, um, I had to go and do errands, bro. Life happens. And no one else is on board with me. It's pretty much me versus a thousand right now. Because you make it that way, dude. We've been through this. I had someone to help me. Okay. But it's ironic, dude. All right. So my, my new friend, he was like, oh, well, I'm off on Monday. So I'll help you. The, people, right? don't, the people, no, people don't know about your new friend. Brad got a new friend. I have one new friend. We went to church together yesterday. It was amazing. Yeah, I couldn't. My wife is on the background. She's saying I couldn't wait for her. I'm going to tell you guys what happened. I'm not fully in the right, but you guys be the judge, okay? So I set the alarm, all right? And I want more than anything for my wife and daughter to come to church with me. I set the alarm. All right, I just gotten off work. I, I worked until like 1, and then I got, you know, I went to sleep at like 3 in the morning. Set the alarm for 9 o'clock. We got up, went into the room. All right, Liz says Annabella kept her up some, I don't know. The point is, like, I don't know her perspective, but I got up, and I went into the other room where they were sleeping, and I said, hey, get up. And she was like, no, no, five more minutes. And then I was like, okay, this is this is BS. Like, so I was like, well, hey, uh, uh, get up. And she was like, no, 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 I just need to sleep for like five more minutes. So then I was like, all right, well, uh, if you don't get up now and you're not up by the time I leave, then I'm leaving without you. And then I left the room, you know. And she woke up, you know, five minutes before I stepped out of the door. And I mean, is hey. This, are you making just, is this whole thing just a passive aggressive thing? We're supposed to hear about your friend. What the fuck are you talking about? Oh, uh, what are you no, talking was, about, dude? I think was I wrong there? I don't know, but so yeah, oh, so my new friend. You, okay, okay, you were saying was I wrong for? Okay, okay, I didn't. You very confusing, dude. Nobody knows what you're talking about. You're you're under the influence of the bug bomb. <laughs> so true. you're saying right, were you wrong for leaving her? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, no, I don't know. Yes. Yeah, maybe, maybe. that's a yeah, solid dude. maybe. Yeah, I could have, you know, I told her I could have been I mean, more... what's, what's the other, you could have, like, what, physically jerked her out of bed, I guess, but right. nobody, well, nobody no, wants to I do that. Could, well, I thought what I could have done was set my alarm, because I was like, I can't wait, sit here and wake you up every five minutes. So I could have, like, set my phone, like, 500 alarms on it, and it just left it right by her face See, or something, or, like... What me and that would have been a good idea, Liz, but... What, all right, we're I didn't not doing have that. that idea. We're not doing that. <laughs> We're not listening to you live time. It, real world argue. The people want to hear it, bro. Prayers right. for prayers for Brad. Um, what me and Kaylee do is we got that new kitten. So whoever's still sleeping, we just throw the kitten in there and shut the door. And it works. Oh, that's a great idea. It is, and it's like you can't be mad. Like I'm mad at first, and then he's just like mew, and I'm like, oh, come here, you little rascal. It's funny. All right, well, we're going to get to this interview with 
Ben Pierce, author of Jesus in the Secular World. I'm I'm good. I'm good. Like I uh, was saying off air here, I I recorded a podcast on my own, so my my head's spinning, but I talk for a living, so I think I'll be all right. Yeah, that's I've had to do that a couple of times. What uh what podcast do you do? Uh, so our podcast is called Provoke and Inspire. It's funny because every time I I look at our, at iTunes, it always has our podcast right next to each other. So I don't know if there's some crossover. I don't know. If our fans are also listening to. So uh so yeah, oh. we're we're kind of right there, I guess iTunes categorizes us similarly. I don't know why, but they do. Oh, so provoke and, and inspire. For church and other drugs? Yeah, I think so. Oh, that's hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the name the name is familiar to me already, even though I don't know a whole ton about you guys. But yeah, it's just uh provoke and inspire. It's part of Come and Live, um, which some people may be familiar with. Uh Chad Johnson, its founder. Uh he he started that uh that crazy movement and uh since we've joined forces and now we just talk about culture and, and following Jesus and art and music and uh, we just had Derek Webb on from uh, Cademan's Call, or formerly from Cademan's Call, and uh, Tadashi last week, and talked to Jonathan Merritt from the Atlantic not too not too long ago. So, so we've we've had some pretty interesting people on. Yeah, that's yeah. We had um, Chad on, I think early on in our show. Maybe that's the connection. But dude, Chad's awesome. <laughs> yeah, good dude, right? It's, you it's... can figure out what he's talking about. He's a great guy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> We, uh, I got the invitation to have you on. You recently wrote a book. Mm-hmm. What, uh, it's called Jesus in the Secular World, right? Correct. Correct. Yep. Reaching a Culture in Crisis. I, uh, I, the funny thing about the timing of this, and I said this on an interview I did recently, is, uh, for if you've ever, for those who've ever attempted to write a book, it's an in- incredibly exhaustive process. And so the whole thing's been pushed back just a little bit. So officially, it's not going to even be out for a till mid-November. So this better be one heck of a good teaser for those to wait that long. I mean, this isn't Star Wars, so I doubt the anticipation is going to be that high. But uh, either way, yes, I have 90%, 98% written a book called Jesus in the Secular World. And um, it started, as the book says, it started as a class that my brother and I teach uh, in churches, uh, not almost, not exclusively in the Twin Cities, but that's that's where we're from. So uh, a lot of churches run here how deep you want to into the, the kind of the what the book's about do you want me to go in there now or, or yeah man what go for it okay so yeah i mean the book it's it's 
it's funny because I often say that that my life is a bit weird. It's like this weird mix of of new school missions in a way, like a very probably unusual, um, more modern feeling missionary stuff, but rooted very much in sort of old school principles. And so it's not you kind of have when you're reading this book, you're not going to get anything weird or new. It's going to be a lot of the same stuff that you've heard, but I think it's going to be, uh, it's how, how can a person inside of the church use their life to reach those outside of it? And, and what I have, um, done is, is, well, I'll give you a bit of the history. So my parents, they started, their mission started, uh, in eighties, in the eighties in Amsterdam. Uh, they're with youth with a mission, which a lot of people are familiar with, uh, YWAM. And, and they went there wanting to reach Uh, these were, uh, you know, young, rebellious uh, people outside of the system who had a negative idea of who God is. And they were asking themselves, how how can we communicate God to them that they're going to understand? Um, and so, very long story short, they started a Bible study on a boat uh, right behind Central Station in Amsterdam. It's in the heart of the city. Uh, and, and all these alternative, young, rebellious people were coming, were experiencing the power of God and giving their lives to Him. Uh, and shortly thereafter, my dad started a, a band called No Longer Music, um, which, as the title would suggest, was always about more than music. It was a, a creative fusion of theater, special effects, fire, video, um, all sorts of different mediums to express in a relevant way who Jesus is outside of the church. Uh, and so this was sort of the, the backdrop um, in which I grew up, seeing this stuff daily played out in my my real life. Not, you know, not perfectly, but certainly not sheltered from it. Um, and so... Again, I, I had some deviations in terms of what I wanted to do with my life, but eventually the family business was what I got sucked into, uh, so I don't know if I ever ultimately had a choice. But but here I am. I'm a full-time missionary with the, the mission organization that my parents started. Uh, band, no longer music. I've kind of become sort of the creative uh, director, writer for the group. Uh, we just actually did a five-month tour throughout Europe, um, and uh, I was just in Ukraine a few weeks ago. Uh, and, and doing this exact thing, lifting up um, Jesus in a relevant way outside of the church. And the book, to get circle back to the book, the book is the principles that I've learned from over 10 years of seeing this uh, play out in real life. How, how does a person um, love people like Jesus? How does a person uh, through their lives? Um, in other words, where does the source of power come from? Uh, and then ultimately, how can anybody uh, of any age, of any gift, step out into the secular world and actually make a difference for for Jesus? So, so that's that's a very long way of explaining the heart of the book. For sure, dude. Yeah, and um, so a little bit about us. That's I, it caught my ear because that's kind of our people's me and my other co-host who couldn't make it today. We're recovering um, addicts and alcoholics who are also Christian, and I don't know if you're at all familiar with with AA or like the recovery community. Um, yeah. So, you know, Christianity's as a specific, uh, solution is frowned upon in those rooms. And then, you know, we'll try to bring recovery stuff into church, which, which I think it's tailor made for, and that doesn't really fit. So we kind of started our own little thing and that's kind of our people and kind of where we're focused at. So what, what, I really liked about your book and and what I liked about Chad too is it's it was super refreshing because with all the progressive Christianity or whatever you want to call it everybody rethinking everything 
you are very much committed to, I mean, I won't call it blind faith, but more of like a pure faith and like, no, I'm just going to believe that God is going to do what he says. Um, and it's got that old school missional thing to it, which I will, and kind of stuff I wanted to talk to you about is mm-hmm. my mind immediately pushes back on that sort of stuff. Um, right. Especially in my own life, because I guess we can just start with, you talk a lot about your, about conversion experiences with people and, you know, yeah. you, you would have these um, elaborate uh, concerts in hostile places and people would initially be against it and then you'd have, you know, 50, 100 people give their life to Christ sort of thing. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. What I've found in my life recently is maybe like five maybe like five people in the past like two years. So my, my sharing the gospel thing has kind of changed dr- drastically. Um, okay. I, I, I usually won't lead with Jesus because the people that I deal with, Jesus is a loaded, loaded word, right? And they hate it. And a lot of, a lot of people, and I'm in southern Louisiana right now, and they all grew up going to Catholic school. They hate organized religion, specifically Catholicism. They see it full of hypocrisy, so when you lead with the Jesus foot, it just never ends well. I'll typically, mm-hmm. um, in an AA, they use the higher power. So I'll, I'll have people that I'm that I'm working through the steps or I'm helping to get sober, right? And they'll be using their higher power, quote unquote. Sure. And then they'll end up relapsing or their higher power fails them. And that's kind of when I'll kind of be like, well, have you ever tried Jesus specifically? And I'll kind of go with that. And I've had a few people that... I lead, you know, I, I give them my version of the sinner's prayer, whatever you want to call it. And, and then it's like nothing happens or it get or they get worse. You, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm, it's like, yep. like what's going on there? And like, these are so broad questions, but, no, no, that's but fine. you kind of get what I'm saying. It's like, how do people get saved? Like I fully realize it's completely out of my control. Um, but it, it's almost like I feel like it's so out of my control. What can I even really do? And I, I guess it's right. like I, I just haven't had – I don't want to say – it sounds horrible. I haven't had much success, you know, winning souls for Jesus. But it's like the people I've tried to lead in that direction, it doesn't end well. Or it hasn't ended well yet, I guess. And that's a big caveat. But Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll try to – not not to say I don't fully understand your question, but there's a lot in there. So yeah, sure. I, I'll try to just stab at it in one direction. And if you want to redirect me, that's fine. Um, well, first, I think the first thing is that I, in in the book, I, I'm not, I'm certainly not attempting to create, because um, the way you sort of described it, it's like, it's set up very like, there's a problem and then we overcome the problem and then all the, you know, everything and then everybody is saved and everything is easy. I, again, I, I, I do think that, that, Man, where do I even start with this? Part, partly, the the whole idea of of what it means to follow Jesus has become uh, very narrow and and uh, watered down and confused. And so, uh, what I'm what I'm not saying, and what this book att- is not attempting to do, is to sort of flesh out the often painful, often messy, often laborious process of sanctification. In terms of coming to Jesus, does not mean that things get perfect or or easy. Um, 
it's messy, it's complicated, and it's and and um, receiving Jesus or or acknowledging that man, I need help is exactly that. It's acknowledging that I need help, ongoing present tense, and and so. For, for starters, I think that there's there's a skepticism towards the kind of evangelism that I demonstrate in this book because a lot of people think that, oh, it's this very easy, you know, I just raise my hand and boom, I'm saved and everything's better. And and, and certainly I'm not uh, advocating for that at all. I mean, I, I do believe that you see in, in Scripture evidence that, that Jesus would preach for the multitudes. And, and we don't always get a detailed account of how they then lived. Um but one thing Jesus did absolutely was he spoke the truth. I mean, he was very loving and merciful, but he he told people what was true and then ultimately left them to decide. Um, and so the, the illustrations in my book is is that it's true. is that is God opening up the door and giving us opportunities to tell people this is what we believe is true and, and giving them a chance to respond in a public way, knowing full well that then they have a life to live that out and to work that out. How, how has it been different? Yeah, no, totally. And my my question and pushback always with, um, not pushback, but my question with like, because it's a total different story when you go somewhere, um, have these in, intense conversion experiences, and then you come back home. How is that type of evangelism different from, like, have you had different experiences in, like, your home community with, like, good friends? Has, has mm. there been, is it different where you see someone the next week, the next two weeks, the next month yeah. after they've made that decision? Like, how, is it, how has that been different? Well, I, I think there's, you know, there's a reason why, you know, Jesus said it was, it's the hardest for a prophet in his own town. I think ah. there there is definitely a there is a challenge. There is a unique challenge to trying to reach those, trying to um, love those and communicate what you believe is true to those that are nearest to you, mostly because they see you for who you really are. There's no false pretense there. And, the, and, and so if your life does not line up with what you talk, with what you're saying, that's going to be a problem to people that see you every day. And so I think that for those that you see most, they have to see it more than they hear it. Um, I, I think that, you know, there's a chapter in the book that talks about showing people who Jesus is. And, and I say that the power of a, of a life that demonstrates who Jesus is before it ever says it, that is a powerful thing. I think that's applicable regardless of any evangelism you're doing. You, you need to, pe- why should people follow something that is doing nothing in your life? Yeah. Why, why should they follow a powerless God that apparently doesn't change anything? I don't think anyone's attracted to that. So there needs to be as I say in the book, outward evidence of inward transformation, but that especially and more intensely applies to those in your own context. Um, the people that you're going to see every day or every week, man, they better see that you're not perfectly walking it out, but they better see genuine evidence that, that the God you serve is really powerful and he's at work in you. I mean, you know, I, my prayer often is, is let me define success by someone seeing me, especially someone that maybe hasn't seen me for a while. And they look at me and say, man, he's different. Like he's different than he was yeah. a year ago. He's more like Jesus this now than he was a year ago, man, that that's powerful. So, so, so for sure, I, I think in your own context, it takes more nuance. It takes more patience. Um, it takes, you really need to demonstrate what you believe in those contexts. 
and then really you you do need to take opportunities to to share when when it's when the holy spirit leads you to do that it's going to always take courage it's always going to feel foolish but i would say that they should they should see it 10 times more than they should hear it in those contexts and that's so um another thing I, I really liked about your book is it it uh it came at a good time when i needed some encouragement so i i grew up just short background i grew up um southern presbyterian really uh i, I whether or not it was what i was taught what i heard was intense legalism and stuff like that and and more of a morality thing and where I'm at now and where I feel like, like I've, I'm a substance abuse counselor now, um, and drug addicts and alcoholics and, you know, super centers, we'll call them like are definitely my people. And so it's like, I struggle to find this balance of, I, I, I am absolutely in the mud with you guys. And, you know, I curse like a sailor, uh, so it's, it's, I'm always like, but then I will, you know, there are some days where I'm just like, I am not nearly as loving. Like, I just feel like a really awful Christian. And I'm just like, you know, like, am I really, do people look at me? Am I doing anything different? Am I just like, do I need to be changing certain aspects about myself to be, it's such, it seems like such a weird fine line to walk to mm -hmm. how, much like other people do I need to be to be a bridge and at what point am I like sacrificing um or am I just making concessions I don't know it's just like you know I lived a long hard life of a drug addict so I guess I might be a little hard on myself thinking uh that I'll change overnight on certain sure. things um and then part of it is a natural pushback to like you know it, it's okay that I am a quote awful Christian. That's perfectly fine in Jesus's eyes in a way. Sure. Um, I, and, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, for me, I think that I, I think we make it more complicated than it is. Honestly, I, I think that ultimately we don't have to, it's not effort and it's, it's not trying so hard. I, I think direction. And, and the, the point I'm trying to make is it's, it's that, you know, we're not, if I focus on all the external things, you know, whether it be how I'm, how I can be relevant or, or maybe all the things I wish were different about me. And I put all of my energy there. And let's say even by the, the force of my self-discipline, I'm able to change those things. I, that still to me, does that produce what God desires? Ultimately to live as he designed us to live is always good, right? It's always better to not steal, um, ultimately, but does that really produce what God desires. I think what God desires more than anything is relationship with you. He, that's what he really wants. What he really wants is that, is to, that you would know that, that you're his son, that you would know he's your father and that you guys would be intensely connected and that you would be regularly communing and that you would be friends and that he'd be your dad and that you, you would have that deep intimate relationship with him. And, and I think that we wear, we, we waste a lot of energy worrying about, um, all of these external things, when if we put our heart and soul in just knowing our dad and, and, and loving him the best we could and, and, and really thinking of it in human terms, just being with him, I think he'd start to take care of the stuff that, that goes on in our lives. And, in a, in a, yeah, and it's awkward and it's slow and you're not going to realize in a day. I think, I think 
sanctification is measured in decades, probably not even years. Yeah. But, but it's an outside, it's an inside out process. I know that's a cliche, but it really is. I, it's an extension of an intimate relationship with Jesus. And, and ultimately that's the way it should be, right? Because if, if I look up after 10 years of pursuing God and he's turned me into an awesome person, well, I can't take credit for that. And that's kind of the point. Hmm. Because if I can take credit for it, self-righteousness, then I'm just a Pharisee. But if I can look up and say, you know what, I don't know, I, I don't know what's happened to me, but what I do know is I've pursued Jesus. And, and if he's changed me, it's because of that pursuit, all the more glory to him. And so, so to me, I think it's, it's really difficult, but it's also extremely simple in that we just need to make it about knowing God and he'll really sort out the other stuff. That's kind of my thoughts on that. I think that's good. And and so I will follow that up with a question I shop around to every um, very, in my mind, very Christian person, because uh, I'm currently going through this. It seems like it happens every year where God seems incredibly distant. Uh, have you experienced uh, the dark nights of the soul, distance from God? I can't hear God. Is this stuff real? And if so... How do you deal with that? Yeah. And what? How does that manifest for you? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of factors that play into that. I, I do think by nature I'm, I'm an optimist. And so I think I don't even think outside of God my proclivity would be to be very dark under the best of, under the best or worst of circumstances. But what I can tell you is I, I did have a moment, and, and I would say this was also sort of a defining moment in my faith. So – you know, I, I lived in New Zealand uh, for eight years in high school, and, and I moved from New Zealand to the U.S. to go to college. I went to a small Christian liberal arts school in Minnesota. Don't ask me why. <laughs> makes no makes no sense. Um, there's no logical reason for it. But, well, there are some, but they're, they're kind of boring. So the point is, I'm there, and I, I very extroverted person, very social, and I just, I, the culture shock, it sounds funny listening to my American accent, but the culture shock and just sort of the social, uh, total exploding my social life and just starting over. You know, I found myself in a very, in a very lonely spot in my life. I, I found myself in a place where I honestly didn't have hardly any real genuine relationships. And, and I really was frustrated. And I, 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 you know, I remember spending many nights alone, many nights praying quite angrily to God that, that what is this? Why, why am I in this place? Why, why have you brought me to this? And I know relative to the real struggles of the world, this is first world nonsense, but I was, I was, you know, young and, and lonely and frustrated and, you know, wondering why God had brought me there and put me in this place. And I'd really, you know, it was in that kind of in that frustration and in that sort of quote unquote rock bottom in terms of my relationships that, that God really exposed in my heart, the things that I was that I was really relying on people like for my value and for my identity and that people were the thing that in my, in my, you know, to use it in your vernacular, people were my drug. Really. They were the things that gave me value and God almost kind of had to strip that away. And, and it was still rough after that though, for it took months and a while to kind of rebuild and for God to bring people in my life that I really consider valuable friends now. But, but so that was kind of a, a relatively rough moment, but, but ultimately I see God's hand in it. Um, despite that, I, I have to say that I've been very blessed not to have too many of those other than to say this, that, that I take a lot of, um, I take a lot of, uh, value or learning lessons in my, my relationship with my wife, for example. So I'm married, I have two kids. 
And I don't always feel in love with my wife. I mean, just to be real honest with you, oh, yeah, I, sure. I, I love her, but I don't always feel in love with her. And at times there have been hard moments and their life happens and things get in the way and it's complicated. But I have, and again, I'm not to making this a Christian cliche, but I've decided to commit to her and, and, and I've pushed through the emotions and, and continue to search and continue to seek, not being dishonest about how I feel. Um, and I think a lot of Christians are expect to have to feel dishonest. Like they can't ask their questions. There's no one, you know, they're shunned in their community for saying things like you just said, that's terrible. That's wrong. I think we need to be able, you know, we see now through a dimly lit, you know, lens, we don't see things clearly right now. It's going to be hard sometimes. And that should be okay in our community. But ultimately, I do think it needs to be a matter of the will to say that, God, I've committed and I'm going to persevere. And, and I do think ultimately God is faithful to show up. And, and if we will persevere, I do. That's the God. I, I don't believe that God is cruel and unkind and will give us more than we can handle, again, to use a Christian cliche. But I do think that ultimately he, he responds to a, to a desperate heart. And, and that's a lot of what I say in the book. Yeah, no, and 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 I agree to that as well. It it just it it makes it tough sometimes, and and I know it's a certain brand of Christianity, but you know when you just go around certain people, that are just like, yeah, brother, just really feeling the spirit today, and like you know praise him, and sometimes it's just like I, you know, I'm not feeling that right now, and like I really wish I could talk to you about sure. that very frankly, and it's so that's. And that's a very pigeonholed version of that, but it comes up, and I think that's what's, um, what a lot of people might have been the impetus, kind of, for this progressive movement. And I really liked um, your chapter on uh, reaching the youth and talking about social media um, and all the trappings that come with that. Yeah. Um, what have you kind of, I mean, I think that's definitely worth exploring. Um, if you just want to kind of recap that or your, your thoughts. on Yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, again, if I can just two seconds, go backwards I, and then I'll, I'll go into that again. I, I think that I find myself more and more, the more of these kinds of conversations that I have, I, I think in society in general, we've lost the ability to have conversation, productive conversation. Um, I think we are, it, everything's become too polarized. Everything's become too, let's pick a side, let's pick a camp, let's stick to our, our partisan perspectives. And, we, and we're not able to be honest and real with each other. And, and I, I do think that that's a, a big problem within the church because it's really about maintaining a culture and not about truly exploring and discovering who God is. Yep. Um, I think that there's a resistance to it, a naive resistance to it, Oh, well, there's some valid concerns. Like there are, you know, postmodern postmodernism and relativism has creeped so much into even our Christian culture that I think some Christians are afraid that, well, is this conversation getting anywhere, or is it just conversation conversation for the sake of it? And I think that makes people nervous that there's no real that that they are almost glorifying the doubt. And, yeah, and not I can see that the potential discovery. And I think that makes people makes people nervous. But but no, the fact that we people are afraid to be honest, that's not getting us anywhere. And that's certainly not what Jesus would would have us do. So but I mean, again, one one of the major connecting forces of our culture today, obviously, is is Wi-Fi, <laughs> social media, Internet, the movies we watch, the music we listen to. I mean, the book is built on the premise that there is a global culture that exists 
perhaps like no, well, I'd say like no time in history. I mean, I start the book by explaining how we, we did some rock shows in Iraq and how you would think, how is that even possible? And how my mind, when I thought Iraq, Northern Iraq was, it's going to be camels and tents. And I had no clue that that was even going to be something that worked. And, and so to, to show up and to have kids wearing ACD, ACDC t-shirts and holding up their cell phones and, and, you know, giving us the, you know, the rock and roll symbol and all this stuff. And you're like, you know, like yeah, what is it was such that's, a real experience but it confirmed in my mind that there's no the, the internet has reached everywhere and because of it that we live in an extremely connected culture um but with that comes a lot of sad connections too and and, and what what the internet is doing to our brains how it is literally rewiring our brains to to never really think deeply how we want everything in in constant we want information constantly in bite-sized pieces, how we never really have time anymore to reflect or to, to think deeply or to meditate because we are constantly being bombarded with the latest thing on our news feed. Um, and also, again, the much talked about idea of, of this projectionist culture where everything, you know, it's all about we look at all of our friends' profiles and the things they post and everybody looks content. Everyone looks happy. Everyone looks beautiful. And, and there's no way I can live up to that. When in the truth, not even they can live up to uh, the filtered version of their, their lives. And so um, social media has just left, is leaving a generation that's already lonely, just even more lonely and even more isolated and, and lied to. And, and so, you know, it's, it's devastating. I, I talk about, you know, I go into various factors that, that uh, kind of define the global youth culture. And it's a lot of very sad things, sexually broken, confused about truth. Um, you know, angry against God and, 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 you know, lonely and isolated as a result of the internet. And, and, and so, you know, well, the, yeah, I, and it's, it's, yeah, go ahead. it's like there, there almost is no objective truth anymore. And that's like, you know, I've talked about before how like the idea of a fact is just almost done and over with just because there's like a study, a Wikipedia page or whatever, there's enough evidence to almost mount a case for anything you want to talk about. Right. And and also, I mean, speaking of social media and the Internet, now you, no one knows where to get their information anymore. I mean, now in the, the age of, you know, fake news, that's all you have to throw out there now to it's kind of like the last that, it, that kind of broke open the last structure of any sort of possible truth. Now all you have to do to discredit anything is just accuse it of, of not being real, which in right. often case it, it isn't. But then again, how do we know how to get any of our information? And we're we're just floating in the sea of, of the the what what relativism has left us with. It's the it's the logical conclusion of postmodernism, which is, that says that there are as many interpretations as there are interpreters. And if we really want to go down that road, it's it's unlivable. It's unlivable because no one can truly live as if nothing is objectively true. Well, even that even that statement is is impossible. It, it refutes itself. Totally. And, and that's, that's been my, um, so I really dove back into really wanting to, to live out my faith. And I had, you know, when I, um, finally got sober again this time, um, I'll have four years on the 23rd actually. Um, but that's when I started listening. That's when I thank you. That's when I started listening to podcasts and it's, that's what I'm saying that, 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 postmodernist thing is especially true i'd say even in christianity because i'm listening to you know 
Peter Inns and reading C.S. Lewis and then listening to, you know, thousands and thousands of Christians that have vastly different opinions and ideas about who is right, what is the Bible, is this true? And even that, I had to seriously, like, just stop. And I was like, I can't, you know, if ever I felt like a boat tossed by the waves, it was then. I was like, okay, so, you know, I'm, I'm seeking this, and I still can't really seem to arrive at an agreed upon truth save for you know like the the standard tenets or whatever but um so i can see how even if people decide to follow jesus and follow christianity then then it's almost like well which version am i supposed to am i supposed to believe and like where do you think how have you arrived at what you believe and what you hold to be unequivocal truths. Um, it's, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. No, I mean, this is, this is a, uh, (laughs) this is a challenge. And and like you said, I think one of the, or I guess like I was saying, like one of the outworkings of the relativism that we've bought into both as a secular culture, obviously, but even as a Christian culture is that, you fall into this postmodern black hole because like I said, if there are as many as there are interpreters, good luck with that and good mm-hmm. luck making sense of life. Um, and so, so it is a, it is a critical question. What, what is the essence of what we believe? You know, I, I take, um, Paul is, I think is a very, uh, incredible example, obviously. Uh, but you know, one of the things that stands out to me is when he says in first Corinthians two, two, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, mm. I, I think that there is a there is a singularity in his focus that I really appreciate, and that that you don't yeah, you don't see Paul, everything was so pragmatic with him in the sense of it's about Jesus. It's about his life, his death, his resurrection. And I'm gonna put all of my energy and all of what I do into that. And and yeah, he talked about other things, but to me it was still through the lens of how can I make this message known? I mean, he said, I consider it all else trash, right? I, I don't want to know anything else but this. And so, because, and why, why did he do that? Well, well, first of all, I do think that's where our entire faith hinges on. I mean, what we often say outside of the church during our concert is, is, is I mean, that is what separates Jesus from, from everyone else, from Muhammad, from Krishna, from any other ideology is that Jesus died and rose from the dead. That That is the critical thing. I mean, you often hear in apologetics context, you know, an atheist say, well, what's the one thing that would make you stop believing in God? Well, disprove that that Jesus came, died, and, and rose from the dead. If you can do that, we don't have a whole lot left to stand on, right? Even Paul sure. said that. If, the, if the resurrection is proved false, I'm the biggest fool of them all. Like, yep. pity me more than anybody. Yep. So I, I think part of the problem is that we're not really being honest often even as, let's just keep it within the world of Christianity. As followers of Jesus, our doubts or or our um, we just need to be honest with our with our hearts where we're at. Am I am I really seeking what's true, or or are these smoke screens because of because I don't want to believe it's true, or because of rebellion, or because of anger, or because I'm annoyed at other Christians, or I'm annoyed at the church? I think if we're sincerely seeking what's true. And, and, and then, then I think that we'll, we'll land on the most important things, and then we need to have grace 
on the things that are outside of that. And so I think part of the problem is so much fighting happens on the peripheral on things that I don't think are critical that, that people, you know, people either are on one extreme or the other, or then there's the majority of us in the middle of that are just tired of the conversation and we're losing steam because it's frustrating because the fighting seems to be more the point than the aim at truth. Um, so, so it's hard. I I can't, I, I don't know if I can sit here and give you 10, these 10 things define my faith. I mean, I'll tell yeah, you that, no, no, I'll tell you sure. that, that what I said about Jesus, I believe, obviously, I, I think that, that the word of God is inerrant. I do believe that there is a, there is interpretation of it based on trying to get to what the authors actually meant. That is critical. But I do think there is a agreeable truth about what the authors actually meant. I don't think there's unlimited interpretations. Um, I do think that there are interpretations, and I think we have thousands of years of godly men and women that can point us in the right direction to help us discern what that is. Um, but I would say that we need to have a lot more grace with the things on the peripheral, and, and half the battle is that we're, we're just not—it's about how we're having these conversations, um, and, and, and in some cases, why, in a sense, like I said, what, what is your motivation? Are you truly after truth, uh, or are you just wanting to argue? And, and I, and I, yeah, awesome. And I, and I say that because, um, and I'll lavish some praise upon you that, that sentiment of Paul's singular truth came through in your writing. And that's why I've kind of been drawn more to people of your mindset because it was super refreshing for me. It wasn't, it wasn't, let me dabble in a ton of other places. It was just kind of like, this is, this is what I'm, what I'm going with. And, and this is, and this is what happened in my life because of that. It it wasn't really like trying to convince anyone. It was just like, no, this is, this is just how I live. Um, and this is what happened. And I was like, that's it. I mean, it was, you know, to use the word inspiring. It was like, yeah, I mean, that's just what I want. And, and, and if I'm honest, that's, that's what I always, that's what my spirit lean towards, leans toward, um, yeah. and that's what seems comfortable. And, and kind of um, an, another thing I wanted to touch on with you was your thoughts on prayer and how you used prayer in the book yeah. um, Well, and, and in your life. Because um, I've recently listened to some people, some, um, I guess it would be open theism conversations and and people that believe, you know, God doesn't directly answer prayers, especially in in regards to healing, um, which is opposite of what is true in my history. Um, I I have inarguably seen the healing power and and the, the, just the life-changing power of prayer. Um, But it, but it's still, it's like even some of, some of the stories you you relay they're hard to believe it's it's like and i've experienced times and i've relayed those stories of like this is what was happening i prayed to god and this is what happened and it just sounds unbelievable and it's like yeah um you seem to and correct me if i'm wrong but have definitely have the belief that direct um supplication to god can change things in the world and change hearts and change situations um, I mean, just, just tell me about that. Yeah. Again, I, I think that, I think that this is where this can become a confusing conversation because, uh, you know, I just go on a diatribe about absolute truth, but I think that there's also more mystery 
involved in our understanding of God than the sort of uh, modern scientific binary mindset will allow for, even within Christian culture. And so I think we get in trouble. I mean, let me put it this way. If, if we can know absolutely everything about God, would he be God? No. You know not, what I mean? Not very much of a God. No, least. but how, but I mean, think about, think about the logic of that. The all-powerful infinite mind creates the finite, not powerful human being that can perfectly comprehend him. I mean, it's just, that's illogical. That, right. that, that's illogical. I mean, it's the same argument we use against, you know, secular human understanding of how the world came to be. The, the non-rational cannot create the rational, just like the creation is likely not going to fully understand the creator. It's just not going to happen. Or by definition, I don't think he'd be God anymore. And so God is good. And he want, he, he gave us what we need to know, right? He didn't leave us in the dark. He, he knew we needed to know what we needed to know to be in right relationship with him, which is why he sent Jesus to earth and, and why that is plain, not only in scripture, but also in history. Um, because he knew that it was way too important to be ambiguous as far as a lot of the rest of it, I think there's some mystery. So, for example, I, I, I'm wary of anyone that wants to tie every theological bow perfectly and present it like, look, I've got it all figured out. So, so I, I absolutely believe God is sovereign. I think that that's, you can't debate that in Scripture. But I also absolutely believe that our choices matter, that God, and that, that he's even moved by our choices. And, and that, that's also not debatable in scripture. Now, how those two perfectly intersect, I don't think God is, has given us the mind or capacity to fully understand that. And I'm perfectly fine with that, honestly. I, I don't practically see why it matters. I, I think it's, I'm perfectly okay holding both of those up as true and living in light of both of those. And quite frankly, I think that's the safest thing to do. I think that's the right thing to do. And and ultimately, you know, my, sorry, one second. <clears throat> My focus, my, my desire for focus, and, and I'm glad it came through in the book, is I hope it's motivated in the way Paul's was, in that you get a sense in Paul that he's so indebted to what Jesus did for him, right? He's so um, in awe that Jesus would save him. You know, he calls himself the, the chief of all sinners, the worst of them all. And, and, and so there's this, to start with, there's an indebtedness, you know, like Isaiah 6, this idea that Isaiah has this radical revelation of the power of God, you know, and, and, and by extension, he has this revelation of his own sinfulness, you know, like Isaiah does. I am a man of unclean lips. Um, I, I think it starts there. And then, then I think Paul had this urgency, this sense that I, I need to, people need to know this message. And, and I think, I think first of all, having a revelation of God and, and a revelation of how indebted you are, and in, in, that maybe is a complicated word for people, but how much He's saved you, how much he's redeemed you, and then an urgency to have other people know and understand that. I think seeing things through that lens, you will start to eliminate a lot of things that, that just aren't going to accomplish the most important goal in all history. So could I debate on a million different political issues? Sure. Um, could I nitpick at all the what I consider peripheral theological issues? Absolutely. But I just... I just don't have, I just don't see the need for it. Life is short. Let's get to the thing that matters. And then we can settle all these peripheral debates some other eternity when we have a lot of time to figure all that stuff out. Um, so, so absolutely, prayer, 
prayer matters. You can't debate that scripturally, and quite frankly, you can't debate that even from the examples that I have in my life, and as you said, as you have in your life. Yeah. But but let me I will say this: prayer for me is not transactional. Prayer for me, it's God does things through the act of prayer, but prayer for me is about relationship. Prayer, you know, we turn prayer into this transaction, right? I give something to God, I give him yeah. thanks and and I ask for forgiveness. And in return, he answers my checklist of things. You know, he answers my yeah. shopping list of to-dos. That's not prayer for me. And I don't think it should be. Prayer is is about communing with the God of the universe, wanting to be like him, wanting to be known by him. And then, oh, well, by the way, telling him the things I want, and, and I've seen him move through that. Well, walk me through your, your prayer and meditation life, like in a, in a literal, tangible way. Like, okay. what do you do? Yeah. Um, well, I'm a... As you probably can guess, I'm, I'm, I don't sit still well, and I never really stop talking. So knowing, knowing myself in that way um, and the torture that that caused my teachers growing up, um, I've got <laughs> to move. So I live in Minnesota, which is sadistic and weird. So it's cold a lot of the times, and I can't move. Um, but even then, I pace. So, you know, like, for example, this morning, I got a two-month-old baby and a two-year-old, so I got to get up real early. <laughs> and I pace. I, I have a living room, I mean, a dining room table. And I get up and I, I walk around that thing and, and, and I seek God. And, and this really started for me in college. I'd come back home during the summers, and this is New Zealand summers, so it was the winter, but that's random, irrelevant fact. But the point is, uh, my dad and I would start doing this together. And, and honestly, that's really when everything changed for me, where it went from being a five-minute thing before meals to a time where it, it was um, genuine and, and I would just – it was unrehearsed. It was uh, unplanned. I would just, well planned in the sense that we went, but not planned in the sense of what I was going to say. But just being with God, just telling Him what's on my heart, telling Him what I feel. And and the cool thing is, that as you do that, He He teaches you how to pray. It sounds weird, but He does. He He starts to mature it. You know. So early on, it was probably a lot of me asking for stuff and just sharing my feelings like a journal. Um, but over time, I think God really has shaped that, and it's it's become more dynamic, and it's. Um, it's more fused into what I read in scripture and there's kind of an interchange between, you know, I'll, I'll so to get real practical, I, so I'll get up, I'll grab coffee cause it'll be too early and you know, I'll really, I'll, I'll go through something in scripture and you know, I'm just working through a book typically. Um, and I try to not do too much. Um, and, and I really ex- come to it expecting that God's going to move. I say, God, I don't want to read this like a history book. This is real. This is powerful. You want to, you want to speak to me through this. And I come in with those expectations. And, and then as I read, I just write down whatever comes to mind, whatever thoughts, you know, spring to mind. And, and then from there, I just get up and I start pacing around the table. And I, I, things that, that came to mind, I say, God, I want to see that in my life. Or yeah, you know, this, this really brings something up that you're doing in me. And I want to see that, or man, I'm so inspired by Paul's example and his courage, Lord, help me to be more like that. And, and, you know, and then I, I thank him. I think I think Thanksgiving is is become a platitude. You know, thank thank you Jesus for the food. Amen. That's not gratitude. Yeah. Gratitude is God. I don't deserve the lung, the breath in my lungs. God, the fact that I can, you know, let me just give you an example. I was out praying one time, and I was thanking God, and um, and and I remember I just overwhelmingly felt this need like to to thank him for my legs. It's not weird, but I was walking. It's like God, thank you that I can walk. You know, thank you that what a gift that I can walk. And I'm not kidding you. I go around the corner and there's this kid being pushed on a wheelchair 
And I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. I just felt like yeah. this sense, like God said to me, do you have any idea how everything is a gift? Everything is a gift. Like that, that, that you can walk, that you can breathe, that you can think. And so I think, you know, I really, I'm gratitude is I'm big on gratitude and man. And after all that, after, after I'm just with God for a while, I just start to pray crazy prayers. That That's something I've been inspired to pray lately. I, you know, prayers that just make no sense, prayers that are way bigger than me, you know, uh, and, and, and I've just started to do that. I just started to pray like five to 10 crazy prayers every day, usually I, the same one. And that's kind of how it goes. I, I started doing that after reading your book, to be honest, because I was like, because it's, I had gotten into a place and I mean, it's, I'm, you know, I'm obviously, I'm constantly, my biggest thing is just like, I really just want to do what God wants me to do. You know, I really just want to please him. And so I was like, well, um, and so, yeah, my, my prayers had gotten more, I had let, I'll call it like realism sink in sure. and I'm like trying to temper my prayers to fit what I think is like feasible. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. so after I was like, you know, why not? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll start going back to play. I'll, I mean, call it, I guess, praying with reckless abandon um, yeah. because, because you're right. The, the checklist prayers and especially for someone like me, the op the opposite will start to creep in and that is if i don't do a b and c then i'm getting god's wrath then or if this didn't happen then it's because i'm not doing i didn't hit the checklist well enough and and for someone like me who has that uh, guilt legalistic tendencies that's where like that's that's definitely a a foothold um for other forces to really screw with me like hard um, so no, totally. Yeah. Well, it, so what, and I'll kind of wrap this, um, man, this, this went by really quick, but I'll kind of wrap this up. So with all that to, to humanize, what do you, what does Ben struggle with? Yeah. I mean, I could give you a list of my sins if that's, what you, <laughs> that's what no, you no, mean. No. <laughs> no, no, I know. I know what you're saying. What do I, man, I, there's man, I, I'm like anybody, man. I struggle with a lot of things. I, I am, um, I, I struggle with how to live this crazy life that God's given me and have a two month old and a two year old and a wife. You know, I struggle, you know, I'm, I used to travel probably seven months of the year. Um, I struggle how to be a good dad and, and a good husband and, and keep up this crazy itinerant life. I, I struggle with, with not letting what I do become who I am. You know, I, I have really been praying so much lately that, that my, it wouldn't be podcasts or songs written or, uh, films made or whatever, or anything I do books written uh, that none of that would define me. Like, like I said earlier on this podcast, I, I think the greatest reward would be if someone would say, man, someone who hadn't seen me for a while would say, man, Ben, I, I know you and you're different. Like you, you seem like you're more like Jesus than you were when I saw you six months ago. And, and so for me that my prayer almost every day is Lord, let my, let my measure of success be defined by becoming more like you. Let me find deep rest in that. I mean, even this summer I was, I had to come, you know, obviously because I have kids now, I can't do continuous touring like I used to. So I did a couple of weeks tour and then I came home for six weeks while my daughter was being born and the, the band kept going and, you know, of course I'm, I want to be there and I'm, I have to, I'm going to be there for the birth of my daughter and for the, the months, a couple of, you know, like six weeks after that. But 
it's hard. It's hard when you're you've done one thing for so long for your identity to not be wrapped up in that, even without realizing it. And um, man, I, I can tell you this: I I woke up the next day, I was feeling super confused about what the six weeks was going to look like, and feeling very disoriented about my identity. And I said, "All right, God, I I don't know what it's going to look like, but um, I, I I think." you know, God, I'm going to just seek you in this time. I'm going to just get up. I don't care how I feel. I'm going to pace around that dining room table of mine. And I'm telling you, I had an incredible six weeks. Not, of course, just because my daughter was born, which, of course, is incredible. But for the purposes of this illustration, I've never felt more content in just being being, being God's son, just walking around a table. Yeah. Didn't need to be accomplishing anything. Didn't need to be on a stage. Didn't need to be writing. Didn't need to be. I, and I just felt like I felt so satisfied. That's, that's awesome. the goal. Yeah, man. It's yeah, so that's, great. Yes, you you can have all the money and <laughs> take your money and and it, just give me yeah contentedness is probably what I mean. I'm sure everyone does, but definitely you know. But it's sad, mm. man, because we chase even when we know the truth. We oh, chase yeah. and we, we. How quickly do we go from? God, this is a great gift to God. This is now who I am. I am the podcaster. Yeah. I am the writer. I am even the dad or, or wife or husband. Man, we are we are suckers for making things our God, and they are lousy gods. And they not only ruin the thing, but then we don't actually commune with the one that could deeply satisfy us. And that's probably the greatest sadness of all. Yeah. Well, well tell everyone where they can find your music when the book's coming out give give everybody all of that yeah well i mean you know the probably the best way to stay connected to what we do my voice is through the provoke and inspire podcast that i i've mentioned it's on itunes you know everywhere the podcasts are just provoke and inspire um so check that out um otherwise the book will come out the the date we're hoping for is november 23rd but in the meantime uh, the missions organization that I mentioned in the beginning, Steiger, S-T-E-I-G-E-R, not the tractor company, um, steiger.org slash J-S-W, which is just Jesus Secular World. Um, that's where kind of we're updating what's happening with the book and where you'll be able to get it eventually. And then anywhere books are sold, I'm sure. Um, otherwise, I mean, yeah, the, the band I'm part of is called No Longer Music, but all the information you need is in that Steiger website. Um, but again, I would say mostly the Provoke and Inspire podcast is the way that you'll you'll stay connected to what we're doing, and, and you'll hear about the book there too. Yeah, and, and it definitely gets our seal of approval. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, so I really think it's something y'all will like as well. Um, thanks, man. Well, ben, thanks, thanks a lot, man. Uh, yeah. We'll have to talk again. I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, what time really went by quick. Um, Glad to hear that. Clo- they didn't drag on. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. That was awful. Yeah. Um, you tell right. yourself to take yep. it slow, but there's only one place to go. Turn from the dead I say
It was aggravating. The interview was. I hate when, a, I hate when my my ire and aggravation will bookend a wonderful, encouraging interview. It was real good. I really enjoyed talking to Ben. I really can't recommend that book enough when it comes out. Um, Brad, Brad is just epitomizing. Uh, you're a real easy target for my anger sometimes. <laughs> After I was like, you know, yeah, we can finish. We can finish this. Can you, you mind like not jostling and shutting doors and setting off bug bombs, though? You know, the listeners might appreciate it. And he was like, "Oh, would you like me to switch to my handset?" To which I replied, "Like, yeah, man. Like, you could have done that from the get go." Right. <laughs> That's all you got to say for yourself is right. Uh, you're right. You know, like say, okay, it, I... say it again, but in a German <laughs> accent. So right, bro. I, I thought what I was doing was the right thing. I have to all right, all right. Well, so to, to give you some accountability from people on the internet, I want you to tell them. I'll, I'll, I'll tell on you. You want, me, you want me to tell on you and put this out there? What are you, what are you telling on me for? Uh, that your, your upcoming struggles and that, you know, you're, you're about to possibly, you're about to have some dental surgeries. You're about to have, you'll eventually have to have some hernia surgeries and you're worried about taking pain pills. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm worried about taking pain pills. Cause, yeah. uh, you need as much yeah. accountability on that as possible. I know you're in like a really sketchy situation right now with, I don't know how much about that you want to reveal or whatever. Oh, well, I have to have, like, five teeth taken out, but they're taking them out, like, which I think I want to have a second opinion, but the, the current plan is that they're going to take one out every month, and then they're going to give me some Ultram each time. <laughs> so, like, for five months, I'll be getting, you know, Ultram on the reg. Not, like, enough to last the whole month, but, you know, more than... uh yeah, more than, I more than you should probably probably yeah. like probably one more than you should um yeah no well and just i mean everything god it really is struggle september i feel like everyone's on on high alert it's funny how that works or i, I don't know if everyone really is stressed at the same time or you i don't know i don't know if it really is like that but it's a stressful time and then i know stuff going on at your house it's just like i worry about you as far as you know you're you try to take on a lot oh, by, I have by a yourself. Friend. Yeah, I that's good. Does he know like, all your struggle? Oh, yeah, he knows a lot of it. Okay. Is he supportive in the right way? Huh? Is he supportive in the right way? Um, Like, is he is he someone that could be like, yeah, you could just take some, but you just got to be careful about it? No, I don't think so. Okay. He doesn't do drugs. I know, so that's why it could be he could not know what he's talking about. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. He used to do drugs. Can I? Let me tell you about this guy a little bit, bro. All right. He's got this like freaking radical scar on the back of his neck, dude, and like it's like it looks like someone cut open his fucking spinal cord and uh, you know did surgery on it. Turns out that's exactly what happened. Ugh. I mean, as opposed to like wicked ninja fight. No, well, let me tell you what happened to him, though, dude. So he was on acid, and he started freaking out, okay? 
and I, he said that like he felt like there was a piece of glass. Needless to say, he's a little slow, but <laughs> but not stupid, just kind of slow. Like it's interesting because like you still have your brain. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. He yeah, was finished the taken, He took acid and he started freaking out and having a bad trip. He thought that there was a glass partition separating him from the outside world and he couldn't hear anybody. Oh, so no. some cops came up to him. It's so bad, dude. They came up to him and tased him six times no. in the back of the neck. No. And, then they, and also somehow he broke his neck. No, during probably the, from for, from getting yeah, probably from like seizing up paid. from the electricity. Holy shit! Yeah, so then this is what happened to the guy. He has to have surgery on his neck and brain so that he can like you know walk again or whatever. And the cops, being the good guys that they are, they said, "Hey, you know we might have tased you a couple too many times." <laughs> But if you won't press charges on us, we won't press charges on you, and we'll just call it even. Oh. And he was like, all right, that sounds like a good deal. He should have got a lawyer, dude. It sounds like he had him by the neck. Oh, yeah. he he, he At least he, pay for his medical bills. I don't know, dude. But, but I mean, uh, yeah, really I mean, n- nobody, yeah, who really, like, who really wants to go to war with the cops? And you know what I'm saying? Like you, you either got to have deep pockets or like Johnny Cochran as your cousin. Well, he's got a pretty good. Um, he's he's kind of. But anyways, he he was talking to me about church. He was like, "Well, I like to go to church because if I don't, then I get too confident, and it kind of helps me to like, you know, keep myself in check." And I was like, "Oh, okay." So that's what's up. Okay. Yeah, I mean he's he seems he's he's a pretty he's an interesting dude, bro. He's weird, I'm weird, we're all weird, you know. Yeah, that's well yeah, I'm I'm glad you, you have someone else. Um Well I asked him, I was like, Hey, will you like be my friend or whatever? Aww. You know, I don't have a lot of friends. Did, also I'm trying to get him to like I'm trying to like edge him into this sober living house situation to help me out. Yeah. True. I gave him the full rundown. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, my wife just got home. Your boy's going to the urgent care, man. I'm okay. S- I'm sick. But seriously, y'all, say yeah. some prayers for the East Coast and, and John and uh, and me and Brad's family. They're all over there. And my sister. Good grief. My whole family's over there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call my mommy. Yeah, you probably should. See what see what they're doing. Cat um, four, bro. Send us an email if you think Brad's uh, delivery vehicle is an abomination. Send an email if you think Brad is being punished uh, or if you think he's being victimized by Dracula or some other vermin-controlling lower deity. Um, Yeah. There definitely is that. That's part of it. It's not a lower deity, bro. It's up there. (laughs) All right. Pretty sure it's like Bilal or something, like one of the seven princes of hell, dude. It's a de bagul. It's because I'm so special and because my gifts are so great that they have to keep me down, bro. There you go. You're the New England Patriots of Christians. And it's just, you're so good and you've got so much potential. Everybody just hates on you. Yeah, bro. It's freaking inflate gate, bro. <laughs> Very good for knowing sports, sports things. 
All right. We'll yeah. talk to y'all later. Love you. Bye. Why, 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 why